You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Uh, if you've got the little handout you've got coming in, you'll find the Bible reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to read from 1 to 15. It's on the back of that uh, little booklet you've got coming in or in your Bibles. Here we go. Uh, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, by you, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started uh, not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish it doing it as well, so that, you're, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not, an, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then down to chapter 9, from verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a, a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
Well, church family, we are back in and continuing on in our time in 2 Corinthians, um, and uh, we are in now in chapters 8 and 9. Uh, we have an, a slightly abridged Bible reading because we couldn't fit it all onto the back of the handout. Um, we've read a lot, but it is good that we devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture to let that do the work. Um, now, as we lead into today's uh, teaching, it's really important that we have some context from the past couple of weeks and where we have come from and what flow of thought that we are in. Because you could read these chapters in isolation, but it is just so helpful to sort of have the chain and flow of thought of what Paul has been teaching up to this point. Paul, the apostle who has planted this church in Corinth, so far, what he's been doing is he has been explaining to these Corinthians what God is doing in this world and how he is on board with that purpose. Uh, he has said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. All this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself, giving us this ministry of reconciliation. Whoa, God is reconciling the world to himself. New creation life. Joining again in relationship with God. Paul is, he's got a message to share. He wants the Corinthians to know. He says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, bringing the world back to himself. He says, therefore, we, me, Paul, we are ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, telling the Corinthians what he's all about. And then he just does it. He pleads with these Corinthians mid portion of his letter, halfway through, he says, we implore you, Corinthians, despite everything that's going on right now, despite how you think you might've stuffed up and, and hurt people's feelings, despite how you think you may have let God down, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin so that when him, we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5. He says, working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Be reconciled to God. Through Christ, God is willing to treat you as if you had never sinned, as if you had lived the perfect life. And he can do that because he's going to treat Jesus as if he lived the sinful life. The great exchange. From this heartfelt appeal to this church, Paul then goes on to seek to persuade them to be real in this reconciliation, to be real, to let it be legit. He says, let these, since we have these promises, beloved, since we have these promises, since there is this promise of re restored relationship with God, let us walk in it. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God is how he kicks off chapter seven. Be reconciled, walk in this reconciliation, be holy, be holy as God is holy as he walks with you. Be real. And then he speaks about how we can also be, how he is being so courageous in his confronting them. Because he's come out and he's come out on the front foot, imploring them of these things. He says, look, we're acting with great boldness towards you. He says, I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all of our affliction. We are overflowing with joy. He does this because he loves them. He calls people to be reconciled with God because he loves them. And then he finishes with this word of affection. He says, I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. 
This is where Paul has been moving so far through the letter. Be reconciled to God. Make sure it's legit. Walk in this new way. And I'm saying these things. I'm being so bold towards you because I love you. This is why I'm coming forward with this intervention and reminding you of these promises. And then what's his next move? Where does he go in this flow of thought? This is where we are in chapters 8 and 9. What is his next move? His chain of thought up to this point is, I have complete confidence in you. So the church in Corinth, they're reading this letter. They're reading it out. They're thinking as they go right now, they're feeling strangely encouraged, spiritually optimistic. The church, they are reminded of how God is going to treat them because of Jesus Christ. They're reminded of his unending love, of God's amazing grace that's been so freely and so generously given to them. What does Paul do next? What does he go after? What's the next move in his Literary logic. Well, he goes after the thing that will ultimately reveal the legitimacy of their faith and the confidence that they have for their lives. He goes after their hearts. And his next move in chapters 8 and 9 to them and to us is to ask this question. He wants their life to be the answer, but he asks this question. What are you doing with all the stuff God has given you? What are you doing with all that God has entrusted to you? With your new creation life, with this fresh start, now that you are reconciled to God and have received such generosity, What are you doing with all that God has given you? There's two, really, there's two main answers you can give here. There's two main answers. You can use the things that God has given you to make you feel good. And there's two ways that you can do that. You can feel good by using all the stuff that God has given you, you by using it selfishly or by using it selflessly. Either way, God gives us all this stuff to make us feel good, doesn't he? And you can use all that God has given you. You can use it selfishly or selflessly. That takes us right back even to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? That was the original thing. Adam and Eve in the garden, well, they have everything. Good, 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 very good. Take and eat from any tree that you want. Enjoy the creation, just not that one thing. God's generosity, God's provision far outweighed what he withheld, didn't it? What a generous God. Yet Adam and Eve still made a decision. They still decided to do something that had a selfish motivation as opposed to a selfless motivation. And that's what started the problem with the whole world as we see it now, isn't it? See, there are two ways that you can use the stuff that God has given you. First is selfishly, for selfish purposes. This is the devil's play. This is the enemy's handbook. Selfishly, and that that will ultimately end up to killing, to destruction, to what is unhealthy. The the end of a selfish attitude for Satan was Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall down from heaven as if lightning. For Adam and Eve, it was then being cast out of the garden, all creation being cursed. Or there's the other model of selflessly, isn't that? That is 
God's character, creating a beautiful world, his creation to love and to enjoy, modelled in his son, Jesus Christ, who lived selflessly. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. So you can look at these two examples. One leads to life, one leads to death. Now you can look at the way you use your stuff and you can decide, well, there's an effective way, more effective and less effective way of using the things that I have. But ultimately, it shouldn't come down to what's more preferable, should it? Should come down to who owns it in the first place when you've got some stuff. We're all stewards of what we have. God is the source of all things. All things ultimately come from God. And so what does God say about the proper use of all the things that we are given? What does God say? And this is where Paul leans in. He takes the scalpel to the heart of the Corinthians to see how legit is your life under Christ. Now, how are we going to examine that letter? Keep your Bible open. Very simply, I'm just going to move with where Paul moves in the Scriptures. I'm just going to let the logic of Paul take us through the logic of this thought. Paul, he makes a transition. What does that look like to live selflessly? What does it look like when we are using the things that God has given us well? Well, he just doesn't want to tell them. He starts off by showing them. Got your Bible open? Chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Look at these Macedonians. Verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed with a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you just hear that, what that said? Poverty plus persecution equals a wealth of generosity to others. They gave. Generosity was revealed in giving. Kindness was shown by their charity. Their big heart was seen in their open hands. This is a picture of God's work in a person. That God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only son. And the Macedonians put in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They gave. Now this should turn on our heads, the inherited thinking that our giving out of our poverty will make our life sad and miserable. The giving out of poverty will make our life sad and miserable. On the contrary, joy plus poverty equals generosity. Or if you're a maths nerd here, you can rearrange the equation, can't you? Poverty plus generosity equals joy. Or you could even say joy plus generosity will lead to poverty, but there's always joy involved, isn't there? There's always generosity involved. Let's keep moving through the passage. Verse 3, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, 
beyond their means, these crazy Macedonians. What does that teach us? Christian generosity, it's not safe. Christian generosity, the gift of giving from one means a sacrifice from the other. The giving will mean a noticeable loss to the giver. This is the gospel. This is the good news of what God has done for us. God gives at great cost of himself, doesn't he? What did God sacrifice so that we could be reconciled with him? His one and only son, it hurt. And so this should turn on our heads the common thinking that for only a coffee a day, out of your excess, it shouldn't impact you, is Christian generosity. Gets rid of all of that, doesn't it? Let's get reading. Of their own accord, verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. These Macedonians just like, make, let us help. Please let us help. We, 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 let us help. In the circumstance of need, the one who made the ask was the one who actually gave the gift. Giving to someone or something does not have to be based on the request of the needy. Macedonians saw it, begged to help and contribute to it. The need that had to be met was identified by the one who gave the gift. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Who of us recognised our sinful, desperate, needy estate? before we cried out to God and saw that there was going to, then, then God reacted. Is that the story of the gospel? God reacting to us going, oh, we need a, we need a saviour. No, there's nothing on offer. And then go, well, oh, actually, I can help you out with this one. Uh-uh. God takes the initiative, doesn't he? You start to see the plan of it, even in the Garden of Eden. God's grace to his people, his promises, starting in the line of Abraham, it becomes so obvious. And then everything, everything in the whole Old Testament leading up to Jesus, Old Testament, Jesus concealed, New Testament, Jesus revealed, God's plan for all of salvation, every sacrifice pointing forward to Jesus, God took the initiative, God gave, God saw the need and God came through. So this should turn on our heads the inherited thinking that giving to someone is an act of kindness when someone asks for it. Do you know that you can see a need and ask to meet it? So this should turn on our heads the inherited thinking that giving to someone or something is only when they can articulate what they think they need. Can you see a need? You can come to them begging to meet it. <laughs> we continue on through the passage, just observing, just observing. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, these Macedonians, they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. You see, right generosity, Paul's getting at here, right generosity starts with giving yourself to God before giving yourself to people. Before you are generous to things that are created, you are to give first to your creator. Christian giving starts with giving to God first what is God's. Bit of a protective mechanism here, I feel like. You know, so often we can give away something to appease how we're feeling bad about the way that we may have treat someone else, you know, oh, you know, I've done some bad stuff. I better make a big donation so I feel better about it. And what are we doing there? We're avoiding any real confrontation, aren't we? We're avoiding any real conversation with God as to how we did something wrong. We're just like, well, if I just appease over here, I don't need to go over there. God wants us to run back over there to him. We keep reading, verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in speech, knowledge, earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in this act of grace also. You can excel in this. You can be very good at this. You can be an excellent, generous giver. You can be a skillful, talented giver. And conversely, this means that you can also fail in giving. You can fall behind in giving. You can be a rookie at being generous. I think Paul recognizes how the church in Corinth is feeling right now, maybe similarly to how I was feeling as I'm at the end of verse 7 as I'm reading through this myself. I don't know how you're feeling. But then he goes on and he says, verse 8, what's it say? Bible's open. I say this not as a command. Look, I'm not forcing you to do this. This isn't on the chart of Christian obedience. You know, it's not there for you to be ticked off. But keep reading. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. There's no chart, but generosity does reveal the authenticity of God's love in your heart. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Need some motivation for being generous and following after your Savior? God generously gave, sacrificing his lavish lifestyle for others to know new life. God generously gave, giving up his one and only son so that others might know eternal sonship. God became poor. Does that sink in? What, like, this is a terrible, terrible, like, comparison. But, like, how would you feel if tomorrow the news headline was Elon Musk finds himself on a Centrelink allowance because he gave it all away 
so that others could be provided for. That's nothing. It's not even a hint to this, to this verse in 2 Corinthians 8. Yet for your sake, he became poor, your sake. I don't know if that's landing for you. <laughs> no words. We keep reading verse 13. Paul brings in some principles now. For I do not mean that others should, that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. See, what do we read in that? God has intentionally allowed a mismatch in resourcing of the people in his church. See that? God has intentionally allowed a mismatch of resourcing people within his church, and he wants some people to practice giving. He wants other people to practice receiving. He wants all people to act this way because of their love for him. And he loves to empower this others type focused love and humility in receiving. He could have just been like everyone equal all the time. You'll be fine. Christian, complete leveling out, you know, create the world. Straight scorecard. Everyone exactly the same. 10 beans each. Off you go. Uh Uh-uh. It's like, no, I need some of these guys to be poor over here, some of these guys to have more over here, some of these guys to not have much, some of these guys to have more. So there's going to be, actually, people have opportunities to practice giving and receiving. It's just like, yeah, I actually baked in. These, this mismatch so they can practice what it's like in how, like, what, it's, what it feels like to, to just give, because I love it, man. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What are we sowing? What are we reaping? Hold that thought until you get to verse 10. The harvest is righteousness. We're sowing righteousness. We're reaping righteousness. We sow righteousness. And this language of sowing and reaping, you know, I think that's so helpful in terms of how we are generous to people and what we can expect. Because a farmer, when he sows seed, like it's just like, is there an immediate, like throw my seed on the ground? Why haven't I got a harvest yet? What's going on? Sucks, man. It's like all this sowing that I'm doing. Can't harvest straight away. Like I should have been able to get up the next day and get my harvest. Uh-uh. <laughs> or what if, you're an, like, what if you're an investor, you know? Does the investment get an immediate yield yield of return? No. Farmer, investor can take months, can take years, can take decades. Sometimes the best fruit takes decades. Are you someone who is investing righteousness by being someone who sacrificially gives yourself to God and then to others? This is where Paul is leaning in this book. This is his next manoeuvre to the Corinthians. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. It's not coercion. It's not guilting. It's not shaming. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Your giving is to be hilarious. 
It's that Greek word, cheerful, hilarion. So we get the word hilarious. Your giving is to be hilarious. God loves hilarious giver. Now, firstly, I think we all much prefer to receive from a cheerful giver, don't we? We all much prefer to be a cheerful giver, don't we? Now, like how good is the family Christmas when that uncle is just like, oh, yeah, here's your gift. I got you for the Kris Kringle. Oh, gee, thanks, Uncle John. No, ever that's, that's not a gift. That's, that sucks. But what about like the cheerful giver? What about that, like that husband or wife is just like, oh, I've got you like the best gift for like Christmas. I know it's like still two months away, but like, do you want to see it now? Do you want to see it now? Like, it's so good. It is so thoughtful. And I've spent ages thinking about it. Do you want to see it now? Like, I just can't wait to give it to you because I just want to see the look on your face. It is so good. God wants us to be hilarious givers. You know, sitting with the mates up at the pub, the bar. Oh, mate, you should have, you should have seen like what happened the other day. It was hilarious. My mate, he had like just like so much need and I just like gave beyond my means. I just couldn't get the smile off my face. Amazing. Now, here's the question, the logical question. Does it have to be completely hilarious before you start to give? Does it have to be, do you have to be completely cheerful before you, before, you, before you start giving? I'd say no. You can actually start by praying, God, give me a cheerful spirit in my giving. You know, and you can actually, there's something about the, our giving of ourselves to anything that actually our involvement and investment in something does cultivate a cheerfulness over time, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden you're invested in it. All of a sudden you've started giving yourself to this thing. And you're like, whoa, look at what it's doing. I want to do this more. Spending time with people, sometimes it's really hard at first. <sighs> then you get to know them a little bit more. And you're like, oh, this is great. And then, you get, and then it's just like it just, it's perpetual. It keeps going. It keeps building. Where you decide to give of, your, give of the things that God gives you, your heart will eventually start to follow. And you can do that wisely or foolishly. Verse 8, it's getting real good now. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Whoa, God is able. God is able. Okay, God is able to do something. What is that? He is able to make all grace abound. How much? All of it, all the grace. And what's he doing? It's like, it's, it's abounding. All of the grace is abounding. It's everywhere, man. So much grace. How much of it? Just all of it, everywhere. So that having all sufficiency. You right with that? You got enough? Got enough? There? Like, mate, I've got, like sufficiency, mate, in spades. Spades of sufficiency. And, and, and how are you able to do that? Like, can, is that going to cover everything? Like all things, all grace, all sufficiency, all things. Okay, what's that for? Every good work. How many? All of them. Where's that come from? <laughs> God is able. All grace, fully sufficient all the time to abandon every good work. God can pour on the breath blessings in astonishing ways so that you are ready for anything and everything, more than just what needs to be done. God can give you more blessings than you need and you will always have plenty. You will have enough to give to every good work because of God's blessings. 
Verse 9, as it is written. Here's why you can be confident. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God will provide and resource his people with more than they need. Not for his people to live easy, comfortable, hashtag blessed lives. But so that God's blessing can be carried out and distributed by all God's people to all people. And as God's people do that, what will be the effect? What will be the effect of that as God provides all things? Keep reading. It will produce what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving to God. What's the goal here? God's glory. God, why are you giving me this? Well, I'm giving you this so you can pay it forward. And then that person that you pay it forward to, why are you giving me this? Well, God wants me to pay it forward to you because he has paid it forward to me. But where did you get this to give it to me? Or God gave me that to find someone like you to give it to. But don't you need this? Don't you need this? Nah. In Christ, I have all things. Complete sufficiency. All grace, all the time, in every way. Who does this? The people of God do this. Those that are reconciled to the creator of the universe do this. Those that are new creation people do this. We get to participate in what God feels by loving others as God does. 1 Corinthians verse 3. The prologue of this letter that continues to flavor and set up everything else in this letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have received and are comforted by God. You could be one of those people that's just like, yeah, I'm just living my life, just taking a leaf out of the book of 1 Timothy. Paul wrote to 1 Timothy, just, you know, you know, I don't really set my hope on the uncertainty of, of riches, but on God, who so richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, I try to be, I try to do good and to be rich in good works, you know, to be generous and ready to share, you know, and by doing that, I'm storing up for myself a good foundation for the future so that I may take hold of what is truly life. See, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack no thing. Keep reading. By the approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes 
from your confession of the gospel of Christ. You see, as you glory in God's saving grace in your life and give to others from the overflow that God has given you, people will know that your knowing God's love is legit. As they see that God's generosity has not only been received, but is now also being reflective, reflected, they see a genuine confession of gospel faith. And as they see what God has done to you and is now doing through you, they see the genuine power of the Holy Spirit to make those people who were once in Adam and living a selfish life now are people who are in Christ living selfless lives. As Paul writes, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And now as you close out chapter 9, as Paul finishes this thought, he's just been thinking about God's generosity and how that's impacted him. He's been internally digesting and pondering on what he's been writing. He explodes in doxology and praise and thanksgiving. What does he say? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Can you say that? Do you know that? Thanks be to God for his overwhelming generosity to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable love. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. How inscrutable are his ways for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. The steadfast love endures forever. The love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. The generosity that God has done to you, he also wants to do through you. You have been blessed to be a blessing. And if you want a real, you want the best illustration of what God's generosity looks like, Look at Jesus. So Paul's saying, look at Jesus. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Look at Jesus. And then Paul, as he writes to the Corinthians, he's not only saying, look at Jesus, saying, look at the Macedonians. He's reminding them if God is the source of all stuff, if everything ultimately comes from him in every way, what does God say about the proper use of our stuff? Well, the Bible teaches that our use of what God has given us should reflect the character of God in how, how he has sacrificially, joyfully, cheerfully given to us in the person and work of Jesus. This is walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 
I've got five pages left, but I don't think I need to preach them. See, I don't know what has been brought to mind for you by the Holy Spirit, but our te- text has brought us thick in the mix of what means it, what it means to be generous with what God has given. And as we have stuck to the text, all I want to ask is, what has come to mind to you? As Paul has taught the church in Corinth, as he said, I want you to do this, to be generous givers. As he said, check out the Macedonians, they're doing this. You know, it's logical, it's loving, it's not a risk. God provides. It's not yours anyway, it's all God's. It's ultimately for God's glory. It's out of thankfulness for God in the way that he has given everything to you. How has that made you feel? What do you want to do? What comes to mind? I'm going to pray for us and ask for God's wisdom and guidance and discernment in how we as a church live this out. It'll mean different things for each one of us because we all come to church today from a different place and have a different experience. But there's one thing that we all should do in response to this. This is a passage about giving. This is a passage about being generous, isn't it? Of giving up the things that would normally bring us security. God wants us to find his security in him. Before you ask, what do I give and how much of it do I give? Read through it all again on your own. And then before you go and practically do anything, spiritually give God everything. And start by giving him your sin. Start by giving him your sin. Start by giving him your sin. And as you do that, as you know the refreshment and the lightness and the joy of knowing that Jesus hung on the cross and died for your sins in your place and declared it is finished, Let the joy of your salvation and new life and reconciliation with God help you make the next decision in how you are to act as a child of the living God. This church is not about coercion. It's not about compulsion. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could be and live in the righteousness of God. It's good news. It's amazing news. Let that shape your life. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.